This week on Waxing the Porpoise, G-Baby and the usual suspect Steve take on the leg-crossing, ice-pick-gouging, pre-baked alibi-making, single-white female-having, Michael Douglas crime thriller vehicle, and infamous Sharon Stone smacker, Basic Instinct from 1992. Join us as we take a dive almost as deep as Michael Douglas' V-neck, make a Hail Mary connection to Lethal Weapon 2, and meditate on the puritanical panic espoused by the release of 1995's Showgirls. If you have an ice pick, burn it and leave it to Beaver. Sydney, your mother was no Sharon Stone. Let's wax this cross-legged porpoise. Chase, don't do that. Welcome to Waxing the Porpoise. We are here again, now on episode 52. Uh, Tonight, we're gathered to discuss the 1992 film, Basic Instinct. Hitting on 92 again. This is like a, uh, going back to Jennifer 8, this is kind of a same, in that same kind of vein of like a, this is definitely more of an erotic thriller, but like a crime thriller, whodunit, psychological kind of kind of deal um this is one uh steve has obviously never seen this is this is one of my favorites it's got michael douglas in it uh and sharon stone this was like a star making role uh for her um a few other people will discuss this was directed by uh i guess some would say infamous um because he's kind of he's got a a, an attitude an air about him but uh the dude who did uh robocop Starship Troopers, Paul Verhoeven. Uh, he's a Dutch dude. He's kind of he's a kind of an eccentric, a wily kind of character. Um, he also did uh, Showgirls. That's probably his most infamous work and like biggest uh, box office bomb. Um, but he's done a lot of cool stuff, and he's definitely got his own kind of style and aesthetic, especially when it comes to like certain gore effects. Kind of has his signature on it, which we'll get into, but. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about Basic Instinct again, and this kind of it, it definitely kind of carries on with Jennifer Eight. I kind of put this up here with like like my three favorite films of this style, like this kind of like erotic or psychological uh, crime thriller with that like a femme fatale. Uh, although Jennifer Eight is missing a femme fatale, so that doesn't really work in there. But so I put it at like um, Jennifer Eight this movie basic instinct and then the third one can be kind of inter- interchangeable um one is fatal attraction which actually also stars uh michael douglas or i feel like you can slot in uh like black rain uh also michael douglas i kind of those three films are all to me like good like lazy day rainy day kind of uh flicks that you can turn on and just veg out on the couch um so sounds like you just like Michael Douglas a lot. I mean, I I always like Black Rain a lot, but yeah, the older I get and the more films in his repertoire that I've seen. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen have you ever seen the game with Sean no. Penn? That's a good one, man. He's in that. He's really good in that. Um Ghost in the Darkness, obviously. Ghost in the Darkness, fuck yeah. Uh 
what else? He, I think what catapulted him was uh, a movie called Romancing the Stone with Kathleen. I can't remember her name, uh, but the the <laughs> the gal who played Chandler's dad, mom. That's an actual woman. Yes, Kathleen Turner. Um, she, uh, her, and him were in Romancing the Stone. That was like a breakout role for him. It's kind of like an Indiana Jones kind of. More a little bit more tongue in cheek, but yeah, he kind of like fits this role of like uh, he was in um, what was the other one? Ninety four. He was in Disclosure with Demi Moore. That's a really good one too. Kind of like the same erotic kind of thriller, psychological whodunit. Um, but yeah, so what did you think of this one? Uh, I didn't really care for it to be honest. Really, you didn't like yeah. this one? Yeah, I, I, I didn't really. I damn. We can we can get into my my biggest issue was the plot in general. Not to keep it too broad, um, without giving away the ending and then working backwards to what my problems were with it along the way. My other big issue with it was uh, Sharon Stone from beginning to end. I found to be really just not good at all. Really, I don't, I don't and I don't I don't chalk it up to fully being. Oh, you know, it's because it's an early '90s movie. It's kind of corny or whatever. Because all of the other actors are also in that same kind of early '90s cheesy thing. But her her performance, in my opinion, was just over the top, not unbelievable, and it kind of that sort of leads into the issues I have with the plot. Where if they if they hadn't gone back to the twist well one more time. I, I would have enjoyed her performance a little better without getting too into the weeds. Um, we can we can go over that more in detail later, but it actually reminded me of... I didn't watch too much of the Johnny Depp-Amber Heard trial because it's just really boring and I don't care about either one of them, but she reminded me a lot of Amber Heard. Like, well, visually, she kind of looks like her, but mm-hmm. also uh, I think she's just a bad actress like Amber Heard. You know, when she was on the stand... You could just watch her and be like, I don't believe you. And yeah. that's kinda that's kinda how I felt watching Sharon Stone in this. Like, I don't I don't believe you and I don't like you. Um Sydney, your mother was no Sharon Stone. Yeah. I yeah, I obviously don't <laughs> know her from a lot of other movies. I I probably couldn't even tell you one off the top of my head. So I was surprised to hear you say this was like a breakout role. This her. was. That's it's funny you say that that you that you're you're critical of that exact thing her acting because this is what catapulted her and it she kind of rose out of like obscurity that was like it's it's like a weird thing attached to her because she was like i think 34 when they made this and she had been an actress for like 10 or 12 years and she had been in like i don't like at least a dozen or more movies that like not uh like star making type stuff she wasn't like a lead but she was in quite a lot of films like Hollywood films that were made and, and released, you know, but this was like the one. Yeah. That, that I don't know. A lot of people say she has like some weird kind of curse because even though this catapulted catapulted her to notoriety, it wasn't like, it wasn't another six or seven films that was actually like well-received. Like she went on to like star in a string of like, you know, five or six bombs. I think the next one that, that was like, um, uh, that looked that was looked at favorably. I think it was the Mighty. Have you, have you ever seen the Mighty? No. And she's decent enough in that, but um, 
Yeah, she's a she has a really weird kind of uh, she, actor she, acting trajectory. Was she also really annoying in Casino? Yes, that's that was uh, Robert De Niro's wife in okay, Casino. Yeah, all right. I'm yeah. I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I completely forgot it too. But before we get any further, we should introduce ourselves too. Um, so tonight, uh, you got myself uh, as always, Jim G. Baby. You have derailed. Uh, and then, of course, we have the usual suspect, Steve. <clears throat> How, in the name of Zeus's butthole! <laughs> How's it going, man? Just think that would be helpful information, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> in our present situation. Trade secrets, my boy. <laughs> Love that movie. Stand by it. It holds up to this day. Welcome to the rock. <laughs> Good old Connery. Um, okay. So, damn. Dude, that's crazy because it was so weird going into Jennifer 8. Like, I was like, nah, he's probably not going to like this one. But then to to see you favorable on Jennifer 8, but then not like this one, kind of throws me through a loop again. It's another, like, wild card. Like, I got to re- rethink some things, but... I guess in my heart of hearts too, this one, it does, there's a, a certain cheese factor in this, but I, I was curious, what's your take on Michael Douglas in this one? Did, do you buy him as like the hothead with issues cop? And does it elevate his, uh, your liking of him at, in this? Cause he's in, the, he plays the same, same kind of person. Like he's in other films where he plays like a fucking hotshot lawyer or, you know, like politician, plays cops a lot and shit like that. I can I like him in those kinds of roles. Uh, obviously I got the nostalgia with black rain tied to that quite a bit, but I, I like him a lot in this role too. I think he's kind of, he's got his faults, but he still feels pretty badass. Yeah. I, I like him in pretty much everything I can think of that I've seen him in, uh, him like everything else in the movie does not get away unscathed by the, the early nineties sort of sheen that's on everything. So I, I can see past that, no problem. I did I did find his character to be a, a little unbelievable where he just allows himself to get entrenched by this black widow. Like, dude, what are you doing? You know what is happening and you're just willfully getting involved. And I get it. He's like, you know, seeking a thrill. Like, I understand. I, I understand that, that part of it, that why he's doing it. But I'm like, dude, this... Having a hard time suspending disbelief as he just allows himself to get deeper and deeper into into the web, if you will. Do you credit that to him, his ego, or his like hubris, like thinking like no how no matter how deep I get into this, like I know I can just get out because I'm I'm Nick the cop, well, I, you know, I think, like um, I, I'm badass, or is it that he's like? Is it more that he just he's just hypnotized by this fucking? Woman? I think I think between his uh, ex wife who killed herself, his substance abuse issues, which he's obviously fighting. I think he just wants the thrill, like he just enjoys the thrill of the right. game, you know? Yeah, but yeah, that's that's a good take on it too. I mean, he is like constantly is like a moth to the flame, and he's super impulsive. <laughs> As we see on a couple occasions. Um, and he's really good at following people inconspicuously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Jesus. Dude, that car, that chase scene is just so fucking ridiculous. Yeah. I like the location of this, too. It's in yeah. San Fran. It, it, it was all shot on location. So, yeah, like that has that going for it. 30 years ago, so it's like the city still looks kind of clean. If you were to go yeah. there today, it, it looks considerably different, unfortunately. I can only imagine. When's the last time you went? It's like been a couple a years. Yeah. Went down to baseball. Oh, you know what? No. I think I went down. Baseball. It, it must have been right around the same time. I went down there for work one time to drop something off. And literally, I got off the freeway. And at the first stoplight, I looked over. And there was a homeless lady screaming in a cop's face who was just trying to like move her along. And her shit's everywhere. And just looking over, like, yep, we're here. This is what San Francisco is now. Just this this poor fucking cop standing there. Like, she was in his face, screaming. Like, oh, God, this poor bastard. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can it's only It's a shithole. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was never, like, the, like, I remember going as a kid, going through, like, Chinatown and stuff. And, like, <clears throat> like really, like, in the heart of downtown, the financial district. And, like... The smell of piss is like it's pretty full frontal. Yeah. No matter what street you turn on, and then then you have that funky ass the uh, <clears throat> the ocean <laughs> and all the chemicals and fuel and shit probably like right close to all those ports stacked up and all the restaurants and the seagulls and shit everywhere. It's definitely got its own uh, distinct uh, musk. <laughs> yeah, and it's really too bad because it is a beautiful area, but the city's just, they've allowed it to go to shit, and it's, it's a shame. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, li- I like that it's shot there, and you got, you have a couple obligatory car chase scenes where they go down one of these massive fucking steep hills and just case it, like, just, and it's like, <laughs> I was like, dude, he had a pretty nice Mustang on Wednesday and then Thursday morning, it's just torn to shit. Like that, uh, the, the scene where he's comically driving like up the staircase and the car's just like, oh, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> like, Oh my God, dude, how yeah. is this a shortcut to anywhere? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looked, it looked so bad. And like, I don't, I couldn't tell if it was fake, but I also bought it. Like, yeah, they just, we're just going to total this car going up these really weird it wasn't even steps it was like a couple steps and like a a a straightaway like a plateau and then more steps so like the action of it going up that hill was like super herky-jerky and it was like yeah Uh, i will i will say a couple complimentary things about it that i enjoyed the the first kill scene with the pickaxe or ice ice pick um fucking brutal sense love yeah. that and that was awesome um going into this movie all i all i remembered or associated with this movie was sharon sharon stone's vagina yes. and then when the movie started and the ice pick thing happened I, I remember i think my brother got like a special edition dvd that came with like a miniature little ice pick thing <laughs> and i was like oh yeah okay i vaguely remember that just additional That's... detail but knew nothing else about it so I enjoyed I enjoyed the murder scenes, um, and I also did. I was in on the premise, but then as the movie went on, and it's like it was so forcibly distractionary. You know, they they just kept like it's like they were holding your head. And they're like, look over here, 
Now look over here. Now look back over here. It's like, okay, quit fucking jerking my chain around. And it, it felt like it was relying upon confusion and deflection more than like a really cool story. So I don't know if you wanted to do any sort of synopsis before we got into why I think they took it one twist too far, in my yeah. opinion. Um, oh, I guess I guess one little fun fact before that. I also thought, you know when somebody says like a premise and they're like, well, yeah, you know how blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, that doesn't make any sense at all. Like if someone's like, well, you know, you always drink Pepsi when you eat spaghetti. It's like, well, no, I don't. I don't buy that premise. So whatever you're about to say, I don't, I'm not even with you thus far. I thought it was funny when they were like, Oh no, it's a perfect alibi that she wrote a book and then also committed the same exact crime. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Is it? And then later when Michael Douglas confronts Nelson and then they find him dead, they're like, Oh yeah, perfect alibi. Why would I kill this guy that I got into a violent physical altercation with earlier in the day? It's like, well, yeah, that's exactly the reason why. That's why people do things they do. Yeah, yeah. and statistics are on our side on this one, <laughs> yeah. too, fella. It's like you're trying to shoehorn in this like recent thing that just happened. Like, oh, hey, we got a, a murder where they she wrote a book and then she did it. or And then this person was killed this exact same way. Why would she do that? that yeah. That's the, you know, like she did it with an alibi in mind. She's not that stupid, you know? And then... Yeah, it's just like something recent that happened, and he's trying to like, yeah, for this instance too, I, this applies. Like a cop, like, like a cop sees you drinking in a bar and pulls you over on the way home in your shit house, and you're like, "Officer, why would I be driving drunk? I was just drinking heavily in a bar. Doesn't this seem like the last thing I would be doing?" <laughs> like, uh, you're kind of proving my point. <laughs> oh fuck! Yeah, yeah. that is kind of a little bit. Uh, I don't know, kind of comic booky about this. Um, but yeah, I think we should uh, uh, do a quick synopsis. I have a little excerpt too that I think we'll shave some of that. But um, yeah, we, we open with uh, a dude just getting bludgeoned and stabbed like pretty horrifically. I think one's like through the face, like across the face, into the nose, into the chest, the shoulder, like pretty gnarly shit, blood everywhere. Uh, Yeah. The one in the face was, so the one in the face, that's like a director hallmark. Like he's got a lot of like uh face gore is like one of his like signature things. So like in starship troopers, he has a practical effect that he uses when this dude gets shot in the face and it looks kind of like rubbery. It kind of looks kind of funky. Um, he also directed total recall and a lot of his kind of, have you ever seen total recall with, Arnold? I have. Yeah. I yeah. Have. Like some of the practical effects on like the people that, that live out in Mars on the colonies and they have like distinct, like facial features. There's the chick that has three tits. Yeah. Uh, there's, like he he that's kind of his influence and he has it in robocop too there's a lot of funky kind of practical effects um and i mean that's not the only thing that defines him as a as a filmmaker but that's one of them and i thought it was interesting how he 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 still was able to uh inject that in this film which is more of a whodunit and not like a a rollicking action kind of flick like the other ones we mentioned. But, um, dude, the other scene that's really brutal is at the end when uh, uh, Michael Douglas's 
partner Gus gets it. Yeah. Right off the fucking dude, that shit's super intense. Yeah. I always forget. One thing about this, I always forget that he dies and I always forget the twist, like who did it, whether it was Elizabeth or Sharon Stone's character. But, um, anyway so yeah so we have like this this wild card like woman who is fucking this dude that was just murdered and uh so she's the prime suspect basically and she becomes an interesting character right away just with her whole kind of blase attitude about everything and like she's like smart she's the smartest person in the room kind of deal and uh so i guess i'll I'll queue up this a uh, clip r- real quick that kind of encapsulates um, the the direction that we're going here with this one. I love it. She got a hundred million bucks. She fucks fighters and rock and roll stars, and she's got a degree in screwing people's heads. You forgot about her degree in literature. She's a writer. She published a novel last year under a pen name. Want to know what it's about? It's about a retired rock and roll star who gets murdered by his girlfriend. And then they go on to say, guess what the murder weapon was? An ice pick. And so this is the exact same case. So that's where it starts us off. And then she gives her whole, well, yeah, why would I do that exactly the way that I wrote it in my book? You know? So then they're, then they bring her in or no, they have like a, a round table discussion. And did you know, notice the main psychiatrist dude, Steven uh, Tobolowski? He was uh, from Groundhog Day. I, needle nose so, Ned, Ned the head. Yeah. <laughs> I dated your sister until you t- told me I couldn't anymore. I didn't notice him. Uh, I actually watched this movie with the missus and she pointed it out. And nice. when she, when she pointed it out visually, yeah. visually, I, I couldn't see it, but I could hear it in his voice. Like, Oh shit. Yeah, it is. Ryerson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think he has those like buddy Holly glasses and the hat in groundhog day. And in this yeah. one, he's like, he doesn't have glasses or a hat and he's got like a full on beard. So it is a pretty distinct, uh, difference between the two films, but yeah, he's, he's got, he's got a distinct voice. Yeah. The voice too, was but. unmistakable. And- <laughs> Watch that first. It's a, it's doozy. a doozy. <laughs> oh shit. Just watch uh, that again. The other night. I fucking love that movie. Dude, we're we're not too far away from Punk Zatani. I've I've been floating the idea here maybe a couple <laughs> years ago. See the old groundhog. Uh, I think I, it's like I, I a, heard, a four hour jaunt. I heard I heard recently that I think the town is like two thousand people, and before that movie came out, it was a couple hundred people that would go to that thing, and mm-hmm. now it's 10, 15, 20, 25,000 people. Yeah, I bet it's a shit Easy. show for sure. But yeah, I think it is still a relatively small town. I think it's it's got to be still like, I think I looked it up not too long ago, like sub 5,000 people live there. Okay. Like, huh. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to see what their average now is like on a regular basis that it swells to for old Groundhog Day. But <clears throat> um, so yeah, that, that, that starts us off. And, and so w- we come to learn about uh our main character to our other main character michael douglas uh who is uh detective nick curran for the san francisco police department uh and he he's got a past on him you learn not you learn in kind of uh crumbs as we go along that and they never go into it fully but i guess he shot accidentally like in the line of duty he shot two tourists in the san Mm -hmm. francisco area 
I'm assuming attempting to shoot, you know, like an armed assailant or something, but they never go into that case or any of the particulars. And then you come to find out later that he may or may not have been on under the influence of cocaine while on duty and while he did those shoots. Um, so he's got internal affairs up his ass. Uh, then you find out later his wife not only left him, but killed herself because he's such a miserable bastard and all the shit. I'm sure all the, the pressure and the, the spotlight of killing two tourists and everything that goes with that and having their life turned upside down. Um, so he's, and he's an alcoholic. He's like a thrill seeker, kind of like pushes everything to the limit kind of guy. Um, and then, but he's, he's got his like uh, Florence Nightingale, like psych uh, advisor. That's like on retainer at the police department. Like they're, they're mandated uh, psychologist you know, or something. Yeah. Basically as like his destiny in her hands, he's fucking her and she's a head case uh, in and of herself. And so she's like, you know, scratching his back and trying to keep him out of trouble. <clears throat> and all the while now he's got this crazy oddball case. Yeah. Uh, and he repays in his lap. He repays all the favors she does for him by violently raping her. <laughs> Dude. That part, it's like, even now, like, because I forget about it, but every time I watch it, it's like, dude, that's so intense. Like, how did they film that? And uh, I to fit in a quick piece of trivia here, I guess that scene that they sh- that is in the film, they were shooting with actual film, but that was just a rehearsal scene that they did. And the director was like, they got into it. They were so into character about it and everything. And like, they are or he <laughs> it's, I, I don't know for sure, but yeah, that's, that's definitely a question mark. But I, so when she's saying like, no, stop, don't, that was probably like genuine. That wasn't part of the scene. Well, I don't, I, you could take it how you want, I guess, but I guess they were rehearsing and and he, oh, okay. I guess this guy shoots a lot of film, this director, kind of like Ridley Scott. So did Michael he, Douglas in that scene, if you know what I mean. There's some more of that coming up, too, like the with the sex scene, the first sex yeah. scene with Sharon Stone. Bummer alert. Yeah, I got some... <laughs> I got some trivia there too, but um, oh, yeah, God. I guess like the, the rehearsal was so intense and he's like, they captured like what he was going for, for the scene that that's what they kept. It wasn't like, okay, we're going live. Like, all right, now we're, we're actually doing, that was just rehearsal. And I was like, holy fuck dude, because that's, that's intense. You know, it feels like real, like he's really like taking advantage of this fucking woman. And even like the after, like the pillow talk is like super tense. Like she's like, you've never been that way before. And like, you can tell she like, she seems fucked up by that whole, uh, that whole thing. Um, just before that (laughs) is probably one of my favorite scenes. So like what happens is like, I don't know. He's just got a fucking, a hard on for this case. He's got this new exciting case just falls in his lap. It looks like he's about to get off the schneid with the, with internal affairs because this psychologist, her name is Elizabeth, uh, Garner, uh, who was played by, this is actually her first major, uh, film role is played by Jean Triplehorn, who I think she does an awesome job in this film. Um, she she just gives him like the, the 
clear like okay he's good to go back to like active duty i'm i'm clearing him his like psyche valve or whatever so that, that's what i took from it like okay he's he's finally getting internal affairs off his back so to celebrate his three months of sobriety um he immediately goes to the bar and he's like shooting the shit with his his boys talking about this case and he orders a, a double blackjack uh I, which i don't i've never heard of that drink before it's just whiskey and pepsi or whiskey and coke i guess a fancy way of saying it but he orders a double and one of the ia guys who is like all over his ass he's like he calls him shooter i love mm-hmm. that like how he, he mentioned that like to get under his skin he's like oh shooter <laughs> because he shot those two tourists you know and so you can tell too this guy just fucking he's got michael douglas's number like this dude hates this guy. And you'll, you'll, I don't know if you ever watched Malcolm in the Middle. Uh, yeah, not really, but kind of. A little bit. Did you recognize this guy? Uh, I recognized him as Captain Grady from Super Troopers, which I've seen no less than 100,000 times. Yes, that was the easy money that I knew you knew him for. for but he actually yeah. played a, he played at the, um, uh, it was like the boys, like reformatory military school that they always send, uh, malcolm's older shitty brother too he's the he's like the main commandant or whatever he's got some funny shit uh it's it's a funny role he's got like one arm or one hand and an eye patch and shit uh he was also in uh the faculty he played one of the professors that's kind of his claim to fame and where i knew him from and then of course super troopers um to be fair to nelson we we find out later that uh, Curran's been involved in like five shootings in four years or four shootings in five years or yeah. or something like that. And then he also shoots an unarmed woman who just has her hand in her pocket later. So uh, I think there's probably some fair criticism of his trigger discipline. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this guy's, this guy, Nilsson's an asshole and he's played it up, but he's not wrong. Yeah. You know? like, he, <laughs> This guy's a fucking loose cannon, you know, like he's, he's got him dead to rights. But one of my favorite parts is he keeps calling him shooter. And, uh, and then he comes up, he orders another double, you know, it's like, you know, three months soft sobriety. And, uh, what's he say? He's like, Oh, you better be careful there. Shooter. He's like, that might drive you to drink or this case might drive you to drink. Yeah. And, uh, he comes up and he don't goes, work too hard. Shooter yeah. might drive you to drink. Stop writing me, man! I'll kick your fucking teeth in! I love that part. Well, at least you didn't overreact. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You literally just got cleared like your psyche now. You've been clean, you're doing all the right shit, and you fucking just blow into the like like the cop bar that everyone goes to where your internal affairs folks that have been up your ass for however long are right there, and you proceed to just order booze and fucking shoot your mouth off. Like and the, like, yes. the psychologist is there too. And she's probably thinking, wait, he told me he wasn't drinking anymore. And also I just cleared him. Um, so can you calm the fuck down? Because you're making me look real bad that I just cleared you and now you're freaking out on a guy. Yeah. And that's the thing throughout <laughs> the movie too. It's like, she has like some kind of like invincibility cloak. Like, cause she's like, they take her word as like gospel. Like she gets him out of a lot of shit. Whereas like, yeah, if you looked at it that way, it's like, this doesn't look good for her at all either. Um, the way he's 
conducting himself yeah. right now. But yeah, um, well, especially because it seems to be an open secret that they're fucking each other. So how can yeah, they even take her evaluation seriously? Or maybe it's just one of those things where it's like we just need to do this for the paperwork. Nobody cares. Just sign off on it, and we'll get back to work. Yeah, yeah it definitely makes it seem like yeah they're not. Uh, <laughs> inconspicuous about this at all you know it's like and it's like how do they not see the blatant conflict of interest if you're really trying to fucking nail this guy but anyway um excuse me uh oh so i think right around this point is when we get the most infamous uh scene that carries the most notoriety um is when they call uh sharon stone to uh they bring her downtown to the police yeah. station which this police station's pretty fucking slick man like it's it's uh it reminded me kind of a blade runner a little bit only like well more well lit kind of had like a funky architectural i don't know if art i'd go art deco but specifically like the room they're in it almost seems like like a like a racket club or something like a sauna room or like a pool room. It's got these weird, like light tiles and like the way the, it, it just, it, it's a very, it almost, almost like bunker, like that, that yeah. interrogation room. I, something about that. I just like, I really liked uh, that aesthetic. Yeah. It was weird. Cause in the background, it looked like there were markings on the wall, like where you would do like a photo lineup, mm-hmm. but usually they're, they're separated. So somebody could stand behind like, a two-way mirror. Right. Yeah, and this was it, like open air. Yeah, it was it was kind of a strange scene, but yeah, I agree aesthetically. It did look pretty cool. Yeah. And it 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 became like uh like a character in the scene cuz you're constantly cutting from back to front and then uh you know, you have the whole stable of of detectives and the assistant DA is there and they're questioning her. Uh, and it's a stark contrast, all these dudes oogling and this one hot ass chick that's like, she, she knows exactly what she's doing. And yeah. And it was is, so annoying. Like even, even from the beginning when they first go to her house and she's being very like, I don't mean in the traditional way, but she's like provoking them, you know, she's basically telegraphing to them like, Oh, what's, what's wrong? Yeah. You know, I'll, maybe, you know, it, it's like, she's basically yeah. telling him, yeah, I did this. What are you going to do about it? And yeah. And even at the end when she's like, uh, she's like, or uh, Gus is like, hey, we can do this downtown, you know, like the cliche, like threat uh-huh. thing. And she's too smart for that, too. And she's like, yeah, I'll go downtown if you're going to charge me with something. Otherwise, get the fuck out of here. You know, like she's got that attitude on her. Like, I know better than you. You know, like I'm fully in my element. And yeah, fuck you. Kind of. So, yeah. Sorry to derail. You were back at the uh, vagina interrogation. Yes, and we have uh, Wayne Knight, yep. aka Dennis Nedry, is the the DA assistant DA who's like leading the questioning. <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess so. This came out in '92, so this was probably filmed in '90-'91. Steven S- Spielberg saw this film and immediately was like, "That's my Dennis Nedry." Uh, <laughs> so that's how he got. Of all wait, people, all... he's like, "I want that guy." Yeah. Which I mean, I, I don't think there's anything too crazy, but uh, about his performance. But I think it's just interesting to see him after probably knowing him from like Newman from Seinfeld. Yeah, and he's like I need a sweaty, Park. stupid, you know, like nerd or something. Portly fella. Um, 
Yeah, so he's he's leading the discussion and hit the sweat in the space between the top of your lip and your bottom of your nose and around his face, like exponentially <laughs> increases <laughs> throughout this interview and culminates in uh there's a there's a scene where uh Sharon Stone does like her leg. She uncrosses and crosses her legs and you can clearly see her her beaver. And we have some uh some trivia about that too. We'll we'll bring back around at the end because there's some conflicting reports on how that went down and then how that was shot and who was aware, who wasn't. Um, but yeah, that I mean, that was something that like you know, there's a lot of films that could kind of fall into relative obscurity or be just okay or decent, and like this is one of those films where it has something like some kind of marquee like moment or that's controversial that stands out that I think is like easier to remember or like attached to, you know, like, Oh yeah, this is the flick where, and I mean, there's other parts too, like the, the first sex scene that we'll get into between Michael Douglas and Sharon stone. That's like, I mean, that's basically porn before there was porn. Um, so I, I mean, there's a ton of like teenagers that probably grew up like this was like their first porno probably, but like yeah, her uncrossing and crossing the legs, and you get to see her like full frontal vag in a movie is you know not common. So that kind of adds to the the uh, like the the reputation of this flick, you know? Yeah. Um, the legend. Yeah. Um. So they grow her. That doesn't really. It's it proves to be fruitless. And did you notice the other guy in here that has a bit role, Chelsea Ross? From um, I don't know the name. There were, there were a couple the, guys that looked familiar. The old pitcher from Major League, up your butt, Joe Boo. Oh, oh no, I don't think I remember seeing him in this. Yeah, he's in it. He plays. Oh, yeah, he's the he's the like. The guy who's there on, on behalf of the mayor the or whatever. Office. Yeah. He's <laughs> a consigliere or whatever. It's yeah. a corporate kiss, but man. Yeah. Joe <laughs> Boo needs a refill. Yeah, there's there's another guy that I could not recognize, but I'm sure he's been in a million things. And I won't even I won't even waste time trying to find him, but I kept trying to trying to place him, but I never could. Yeah, good old Chelsea Ross. If we had Dick he, on this episode, he'd go off. He'd be, Chelsea Ross. He was actually portraying Gaylord Perry, uh, who <laughs> famously <laughs> snot ball. Ephus pitch. Yeah, I, uh, I will make a quick note that the polygraph scene, which. Oh, yeah. She's like, you want to take a polygraph? I'll take it right now. Yeah, I, I think it's well known by now that polygraphs are not admissible in court. But guess what? What you say in a polygraph test is admissible. So they they can't submit results like, oh, he failed or he passed or whatever. But the things you say in that test, they can admit that. And right. I, I don't think I don't think a lot of people realize that. So if you if you start like lying in your polygraph to try to cover something up or or even if you tell the truth, um, all of that stuff can come in. So don't ever take a polygraph. And if you do, just be very careful because. You might think it's not admissible, but your answers are. Right. And whether or not, like, you know, like the science has come out, like, you know, people can beat it and, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. like the efficacy of it and all that. But still, though, if you did take one and you failed it, just like that understanding or that being out in the ether, like, 
it, it doesn't look good. Well, if like you don't, it's like talking to a cop without a lawyer. It, <clears throat> it can never help you. It can only hurt you. It's not like they're going to look at the test like, like in this, in, like in this movie, like she passed. Fuck it, we need to move on. Like no, that's that's not. It's not how they're. They're just looking for something to hang you with. So right. And I, one point of the trivia, and I don't know how I didn't think about it while I was watching this at all because I just was in movie mode and I was going along for the ride. But uh, later on in the trivia, I read that it's like at this point DNA had been, and, and I know your your stance on DNA is not like this infallible thing that we think it is, but I guess at this time ninety two, like DNA was actively employed. Yeah. Uh, during this time frame, and it wasn't like cutting edge and it wasn't like, yeah. you know, bleeding edge technology. So it was like so at least viable and, and sure. usable. Yeah. What was your, did you think about that while you were watching this? Like, why didn't they just fucking take, uh, not better samples or why didn't they discuss like DNA aspects? Because I guess some people have been like, you know, if they would have done DNA, they would have obviously, there would have been no way to hide that, um, but then DNA on what? Well, there's there the argument is that with DNA evidence, the first crime where Sharon Stone kills uh, Johnny Boz, uh-huh. there's no way that that that, that would she have would not have sealed, left something behind. Right, that would have sealed her fate. But she already says like, yeah, I did have sex with him. Right, but. So I didn't go too deep into their rationale, but they just if, said if like, they would have found her DNA on the ice pick, that would have been there yeah, would have been no go. other alternative hypothesis, right? Besides, you know, but if they swabbed the bed or whatever, um, and yeah, I mean, early '90s, it was still pretty young DNA stuff, but yeah, because I, th- I think the first one that they used in court was like in '87, I want to say. But that sounds about right. I mean, I didn't, I don't know. I can be a critical asshole, but I, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't criticize it too much on, on that front. So I, I only bring it up because also, I guess later after the fact, the writer of this film, uh, the, and the, the, the screenplay, Joe Esterhouse came back later and was like, yeah, that was a big oversight on my end is not addressing like the DNA aspect or, or like, you know, having that be more realistic like the way it would have been employed in this instance. So, but anywho, um, well, I think he might be being a little too hard on himself. Cause like you said, if, if these two were in a relationship, her DNA is going to be all over that house. So, right. Um, and then, so I guess from this point on, then we get introduced to, uh, Ruby or Roxy, who was like, yes. So like, you know, Sharon stones by, she has like, a live-in kind of girlfriend friend that she does stuff with. She lets her watch. Um, she's kind of a wild card in all of this, but then um, we start finding out more about Sharon Stone's past. So when she was at Berkeley in the early eighties, her parents mysteriously died. And then she got like a hundred million dollar life insurance policy or something like that. And then she went on to marry like a famous boxer, Manny. I can't remember who they uh, mentioned him as, but um, then he died of like uh, something that couldn't be tied to her. Like a, a he got beat to death in the ring. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. That's what it was. Yeah. So um, that part was funny and then, when they're like, do you think she killed her husband? Like, unless she put on an Afro and got in the ring and 
developed a stiff left hook. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, so then, so Nick, our guy, Michael Douglas, he starts digging into this and he's like full bore conspiracy mode. Like, yeah, she did it. And she's like, Oh shit. She offed her parents too. She's this evil. And because then you find out she wrote a book previously that also is like, like eerily similar to, you know, like a child yeah. uh, killing its, its parents, you know? So it's got these weird, like mirror parallel aspects as this through line. Um, yeah, every single thing is pointing towards she is the one committing these crimes and, and then writing about it either beforehand or after the fact. Right. And her attitude is just defiant. Like, yeah, so what? You're going <laughs> to come and get me. <laughs> yeah. And then there's like this weird, like, like uh, mating dance kind of thing that that um, Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone go through throughout this like middle to third uh this middle part of the film onto like the third act um and i thought it was funny too like when the the lieutenant is like okay like this is the direction we're gonna go now he's like you i want you covering the records when she was at berkeley you i want you doing this and then it's just left with our resident loose cannon michael douglas um i want you to track tramel like, I want you to track Sharon Stone. You just stay on her. And, like, this is after, like, some weirdness during the uh, the interrogation. She's very kind of, like, flirty. And, like, she, it seems like she's only talking to Michael Douglas. Like, do you want a yeah. cigarette, Nick? And, like, and like even Wayne Knight's, like, like do you, do you two know each other? Like, there's – I just thought it was interesting, like, knowing this li- – basically liability you have on your squad of detectives. And you're going to put him – in touch with this, this other huge wild card in this whole case, like just, yeah, track her, uh, which proves to be, you know, he's just riding the razor's edge, this whole movie with her doing this weird, like, are we going to fuck? Are we not going to fuck? Am I going to, are you going to kill me? Are you going to kill someone else? Am I going to bring you in? Maybe and the all of in that charge. happens. Maybe the people <laughs> in charge were like, well, I mean, he might fuck her, but he's not going to shoot her at least. So let's just get him <laughs> over there with her. So he stops yeah. killing people. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's basically the way it goes down besides like then the, the, the side character, I, I didn't really understand the significance or like why they threw it in, but like this Roxy gal being like the, uh, like the spurned side piece. And she like, she tries to run over uh, Michael Douglas, and I thought that part was pretty intense, dude. He gets fucking washed by this car going like 60 in a parking lot. I think she was a, I don't know if red herring is the right term, but I think she was an, an initial deflection because when you see the blonde girl at the beginning stab the guy to death, yes, it, it, it's plausible that it's her because when he goes to the house, the first house, and it's her, she even says it really dramatically like she would never kill him. And the inference is almost like, but I would, you know, yeah. so there's a, there's like a, a 25 or 30% of the beginning of the movie where I was like, I think it's this fucking Roxy bitch. Cause right. she's blonde. Uh, tits could be similar. Um, face you don't see, obviously she, they're sort of painting her to be jealous or whatever. And then, then, yeah, when she dies, it's like, well, okay. So it's probably not her. 
I thought it was funny too, the book that she wrote, the title of the book, Love Hurts. <laughs> it's yeah. got like a knife, knife going through the tea. I was like, that's so fucking corny. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I put a note to, I was like, this kind of feels like a more sexual, a highly sexually charged version of Black Rain. Um, so I had written down that this <laughs> is like a shitty, trashy romance novel mixed with like an upgraded Skinamax movie. Like <laughs> it was so gratuitous. I'm like, I get it. And it could just be like a product of the time where they're like, oh my God, we can get away with putting a lot of tits and ass in movies, so we're just going to do it. But I was yeah. like, okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you should say that, because this actually, I guess, uh, not intentionally, but it kind of opened the floodgates for those kinds of uh, Skinamax, kind of um, a mix of like softcore porn, uh, action just shit movie you can just like ball up and churn out constantly and that's what they did they kind of like followed a certain formula and so yeah this was kind of like the the pioneer for that that i was reading about that i thought was kind of interesting yeah that is interesting i mean it makes sense because if there's like sensors or whatever and you're like well what the fuck they got they did it so this isn't that bad dude i i was gonna pull this out later but uh speaking of sensors on this one so I guess the director, Paul Verhoeven, had to recut this movie 14 times to get an R rating. Um, And as we can probably all guess, there's four particular scenes in this film that demanded the heaviest recuts. So get a load of this. So the one with Gus at the end when he gets murdered, that's recut what you saw. Wow. Uh, The first murder of Johnny Boz, I guess, was way less intense. Believe it or not, also the date rape scene between Garner and Michael Douglas early on in the film. That's a recut. Uh, And then the first intense ass sex scene with uh, Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas, that was recut. But they actually, what he did with that one is they shot that first sex scene with Sharon Stone uh, over a period of five days in anticipation of the sensors getting all over him. So he did like every angle, side angle, top, like all different kind of like, this guy sounds like a fucking perv. Yeah. I think he is, (laughs) he is, he's a dirty old man for sure. Just based on like, if you watch any of his films, I mean, this is the guy that brought us showgirls, you know, which was like, you know, I think it was, it came out, it was like, it was going to be the first like rated X and then they pared it down to NC 17 and then they finally got an R rating. But dude, I remember in Corning when they showed the showgirls at the one screen theater in downtown Corning population, 6,000 people, there were moms and women down there with picketing saying, not in our town, take this smut out. (laughs) Like I remember it was like a cultural, I mean, I was in fifth grade in 95, so I didn't understand the gravity, but I remember seeing like news reports and like when showgirls came out, like this is smut. Like it was like a, it was a, uh, another round of, of like satanic panic. Only it was like, you know, pure puritanical, like sacrilege. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So yeah, this guy has got that going for him. Uh, but yeah, so he shot the, that first sex scene over a period of five days in anticipation of getting all his cuts. So he he had like you know this huge overflow to like okay, 
we at least have something, you know? And so, but even still like this movie is intense as fuck, especially those four scenes. And for it, like, like I can only imagine what was the, the OG uncut look like of this, like Jesus Christ. I'm I'm sure he still has all of those tapes. Yeah. Uh, what did you watch this on? Um, Paramount plus. Okay. And so this was, do you remember? I, I watched it on that too. It was, this is the director's cut. Did you notice that when you played it? Um, I don't believe so. Okay. I think that's the only one they offer through streaming right now. So okay. I'm curious to see if that's the one you saw. But if it is, so I don't know. I didn't get that far, but I don't know if that director's cut. I don't know if this if this is that first form with without those 14 recuts. So I'd be curious to do a side-by-side and see, like, you know, if, if that is true like what the actual theatrical or the original, you know, home video release differs from that. Yeah. I'm not sure, Uh, but there were definitely a few times during the, I mean, even during the sex scenes, I'm not like a prude or anything, but I'm sitting there watching like, Jesus, how is this advancing the story at all? It just seemed overly gratuitous and and just like weird. Like it was weird to watch. (laughs) Yeah. Like I think that's the, it's one of the few movies that I can remember like Hollywood pictures where you see a dude eating a chick out. Yeah. And that's kind of funky too. Cause he's like, he's like looking up at her. Like it, it, it seemed very kind of like robotic. Um, and well, yeah, then and that's, like, that's how he got throat cancer. So good job. Yeah. I, I was wondering, cause you know, he's like this big fuck. He's like all about just, just going down. I wonder if he was like, Hey, we should for the artistic, uh, the angle that Nick's going at, I think he should go down on her yeah. to add to the, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't think that was a, a trick of angles. I think it was actually happening. <laughs> they said that they used, uh, I don't know what they call them, like sex pads or genital pads. They were used for this because I guess Michael Douglas had a, a no full front frontal, uh, clause in his contract for this. I guess the director wanted this to be like one of the first mainstream movies with like full swing and dong. Uh, and Michael Douglas <laughs> was like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. But you do get him like his, his fucking stately, like walk out of the bedroom when he's yeah. out of the bathroom, when he talks to rocks, <laughs> he's just like strutting like a fucking, like a rooster. Um, so yeah, so they fuck finally, they get that over with. And and so now, yeah, he's kind of stuck. He's like, he's like in, in the spider's web. He's, she's definitely a femme fatale. Um, she fits that to a T and I think th- this is the part of the movie where the, it, it starts getting real twisty and then they start kind of aiming you dead center at, um, the psych doctor, Elizabeth Garner and Sharon stone and kind of back and forth. Cause then you learn, Okay. Dr. Garner went to school and knew Sharon Stone at Berkeley. And like, there's some reports that maybe they slept together when she was a freshman. And one of the other was a stalker. Like we got like a single white female situation going on here. Um, And you can't, it's like one person's word versus the other. Sharon Stone's like, no, she was fucking weird. She stalked me. And then, you know, it's, it's the reverse when, when he braises, uh, the the good doctor and she's like no she's like she's she's a brilliant like psychopath you know like she's she's trying to frame it a certain way like 
And it turns out she was right, you know, like the whole time. But I think that the way they kind of play it, they play it a little Hollywood too, because like, especially at the end when she comes out and she's got her hand in her pocket, it just feels very (laughs) contrived, you know, it's like, but my question to you about this is this being your first watch. When did you first formulate like, okay, I I think this is who did it. Um, Halfway through. I thought pretty early on that Roxy did it mostly because of how she like set it at the door. Like, she wouldn't kill her because yeah. they, you know, uh, and then as it went on, I was like, yeah, that kind of checks the boxes. And then as they steer you towards Beth, it's like, okay, yeah, I could, I could see this building up. I paused it at one point to go to the bathroom. I was like, fuck, there's still like 30 minutes left. And at this point they're, they're pointing you pretty closely to Beth. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I, I can't imagine this is the end. So then when they started vacillating between uh, Beth and Catherine back and forth, I didn't mind that. I didn't mind the, the kind of the, the ping pong back and forth. My problem was how it ended on Catherine. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, if anybody would dispute that, but at the end they're doing their weird bedtime talk, whatever. <laughs> she's reaching over. It looks like she's going to kill him, and then she doesn't. They hug, whatever. And then you see the ice pick on the ground, which apparently, right. to me, is the reveal that she was the one doing everything all the time, right? Yeah. Would you disagree? Uh, yeah. Or no? Well, I always forget. Like, I this is one of those weird films where I'm, I I always forget, and then when I get about to the three-quarter mark, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's this crazy doctor bitch. It's, it's Dr. Garner. She did it. That's right. And then at the end, it's like, oh, fuck, that's right. It is... I mean, they lead it. They they don't come out and say it or show you, but they 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 leave it there with yeah. them fucking, and then Sharon Stone's got the ice pick underneath the bed right there, and it pans to it like she's yeah. In the next thirty seconds, is gonna grab it, and Nick's fucked. Well, and it, it shows her reaching for it, and then when she comes back, she doesn't have it. So it's like she was thinking about it. Here's here's why I think that's a really dumb fucking ending. First of all. If she had the ice pick and was going to kill him, all the, all of these other crimes that she's meticulously covered up, that's over because she's going to kill this guy in his bed. Everybody knows she's there. What you know, right. this one wouldn't be as easily covered up. Um, one of the other reasons why is when when we first meet Sharon Stone and she's like a really cunty, like combative, defiant, like I didn't have anything to do with this, but you know. She's putting off a vibe of, yeah, I did it. Good luck proving it. Yeah. Um, if if the movie had ended with she didn't do it, I would have enjoyed her character a lot more because then she just would have been like a defiant kind of psychologically manipulative, like, fuck it. You want to, if you want to try to battle, let's right. go. Um, and also Beth, Beth versus Catherine. W- one thing I couldn't reconcile is, is Michael Douglas's character. So who would have more likely wanted to target him, right? Catherine, who doesn't know him from anybody, or Beth, who they've had this like ongoing affair, but he seems disinterested in her because she even said early on in the movie, like, I still love you or whatever. Right. And then he even burns her later. Like, I never liked 
fucking you or whatever. Yeah, it's like 10, 15 times, not enough for me to give a fuck or something like that. It's like, yeah. ooh. So she had the motive to burn Michael Douglas more than uh, Catherine did. Well, they do show Catherine, she's she's researching for the book that she's writing uh, that's called Shooter about Michael Douglas, and she's pulled like a ton of research and stuff. So I would throw that back. Like she's been stalking him before I I would assume before she killed the first person or before the first murder of Johnny Boz. Well, right. But if you, if you presume she's done nothing wrong, then you could, you could, um, you could assign that to just like normal book research the same way she hooked up with the the lady who killed her husband, the lady who killed her kids like that, that all comports. Um, but with Beth, he, yeah, he, she does have more of the like the well, and she knows this person. Someone she yeah. knows the lady's books. But here's here's my biggest thing that I mean, I only finished the movie like an hour or two ago, so I haven't had a ton of time to digest it. But here's the thing that if they would have said Beth was the killer, that's fine. But when they said she wasn't, the the fact I can't reconcile is when they went to Selena's to investigate her dead husband. Mm-hmm. The cops like, yeah, he was a cop. He was just going home and somebody shot him, whatever. So if Kieran Curran had been going to therapy about his wife who killed herself and fucking the therapist whose husband had been killed as a cop, there's no way that had not come up before then. Right. right? Yeah. You would think because so. he's grieving. Yeah. Like my wife, right. she killed herself, whatever. How could she not be like, I, I get where you're coming from. My husband was killed senselessly and uh, we have no idea who did it. So right. I don't know. That was kind of the big, the big thing for me. Like if they would have made Beth the actual killer, that would have made a lot more sense to me, but I don't know. Yeah, I got you. I, I mean, it seems like she's, she's got more of like a realistic motive than just being like a thrill killer, which it seems like what they paint, uh, Sharon Stone to be because, um, yeah, like you said, the doctor, she's got all this trauma and stuff and she's kind of become codependent maybe in a way or like attached herself onto, and she's got this obsession clearly. Well, and she could have given the file over intentionally to Nelson. I mean, she said that it was because, you know, whatever, I can't remember what she said. He was going to come harm you and, or internal affairs was. So I, I turned it over to him, but I mean, you could have easily explained that as another thing that she did to, to further the the plot. Right. Yeah. Did you notice by, by the way, the guy, the uh, portly gentleman at Salinas police department, who's washing the car. No. Do you recognize him at all? No. Should kind I? The character actor, dude. Not really. His name's Jack McGee. He was, in Lethal Weapon 2, he plays the fat man who is working on uh, Danny Gloves Murtaugh's addition on top of his garage, and he has that nail gun. Yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> and then he goes downstairs when, they, when they're watching his uh, daughter's commercial, and it turns out it's a condom commercial. You remember that in Lethal Weapon 2? And he's like, oh, fuck. He's like, these guys, all the guys down at the police station, they're just going to give it to me. It's going to be rubbers, 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 rubbers in my coffee, rubbers in my desk. Uh, 
because they, he made his, this big event, like his daughter is going to be in a TV commercial, but they don't know what for. And they all sit around like it's the Super Bowl and it's a condom commercial. I and don't she's remember like that. It's across. been so long. Dude, <laughs> you need to flash back. Anyway, he's in the back and then he's like, oh, he's like, I thought it was great. He's like, makes me want to go buy rubbers right now. And then Murtaugh's just like, you, and then he's like, hey, Raj, come on. Just give the guy a break. Anyway, next next time you watch uh, Lethal Weapon 2, you'll recognize him. Um, that is a super deep cut for a character actor. Um, oh, uh, interesting uh, piece of trivia, too. So Michael Douglas' character, Nick Curran, is actually based on a real-life his name's not listed, but a real-life adrenaline junkie, uh, former Cleveland police officer that the writer, Joe Esterhouse, knew during his time as a crime reporter at the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Hmm. Be interested to know who that cop was. Yeah. Also, the Cleveland Plain Dealer? What a name. <laughs> I hate all those cutesy ass. I think one of my, my least favorite ones that I hear is Seattle's main paper. The post intelligencer, fuck off. Yeah, that's that's so <laughs> arrogant. <laughs> Screw off. <laughs> Let's talk music. Do you like the Elton John song Rocket Man? I don't like soft ass shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> Tony Todd. Um. Yeah, dude, and yeah that. Uh, this is right around the the gust scene. Our 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 homeboy's uh, partner gets fucking hacked by a, a ice pick. Just comes like right out of the fucking elevator. He doesn't even have time. Hits him like right in the jugular, and he's like, ah, fuck. So I didn't I didn't read too much about this, but one thing I did see was when uh, when Curran goes to. Sharon Stone's house and the the book is printing out. Yes. It said that he sees his in in the book his partner gets killed in the elevator. I did not see that. Yeah. Wait, you didn't see that while you were watching the movie? I didn't see that in the printout. Yeah, it's there. And I remember reading it too because yeah, it's a real quick it's it's almost a blink and you miss it kind of thing. Okay. But yeah, he walks into her house. You hear her printer yeah. going like jank, 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 and it fucking goes zoom cut up, and it's like it occludes most of it, but it's this little paragraph, and it's like uh, the detective walks in and sees his partner cut up or whatever, lying flat on the floor with his legs sticking out of the elevator. And that's exactly how he's left too in that scene. Oh yeah, I missed that. Kind of contrived, like she had all this shit framed up perfectly, like the way she was going to do it, because that's before he gets killed, and that's what triggers him because like he's sitting in the car because he's on his like two week psych vacation, like where he can't be a cop. He had to turn in his gun and badge, but he's still going along with Gus and he's, he's just watching the apartment or whatever. Um, and it's like, he forgets about seeing that printout, but then once he sees the elevator moving up, he calls back to that paragraph where he sees like cop, partner found in elevator and then he runs out he's like gus it's like dude no one can fucking hear you he's on like the third floor across the street so yeah. then he starts booking it sweating like a madman trying to get up and then yeah his partner gets killed in the stairwell just the way it was it they they do uh foreshadow that it's it's not a blink and you miss it but it's it's pretty quick 
Yeah, I could have fallen asleep briefly. That could have been yeah. the reason why. Uh, yeah, one of, one other thing that I thought would have been cool if Beth was the actual killer and, and Sharon Stone had nothing to do with it, the uh, the mer- the death of her parents, instead of attributing that to her, mm-hmm. there was that detail when they were talking about uh, the fuel line or whatever that had been repaired twice before. Right. I thought, oh, that might be interesting. Like, well, no, it wasn't a murder. It was just an issue that had happened twice before. And so it just happened again. So she didn't do anything wrong. So I just didn't really like at the very end where they're like, oh, yeah, it was this chick that we've been we've been telling you it was all along. And we've been trying to deflect you the entire time. But no, it was her. Yeah. But it was close enough for government work. <laughs> Fuck, I love that guy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that kind of ties this whole thing up. Nick, Nick is basically left for dead. And I guess the director and the writer have both come out. Like it wasn't a huge secret. They were like, Oh yeah, Sharon Stone's a killer. They're like, they even go out as far to say, it's like, it's clearly evidence that it was her at the, at the very first scene, the blonde woman stabbing whoever, uh, Johnny Boz at the beginning. And I'm like, that could be anybody though. It's like, yeah, she has blonde hair and maybe similar build and features, but you know, yeah, I was trying to do some serious tit analysis. Um, because when, when Sharon Stone gets naked later, I didn't think they looked the same, but then when Beth gets naked, I I didn't think those look the same either. That's kind of why I thought it was Rocky because it was a blonde woman. Huh? Well, the tits look different, but I don't know. Well, I guess piece of trivia: there were no stunt body doubles for this film. They were all depicted as the actual actors in the film. All the nude scenes. The only corollary to that is they add, they did add the genital pads or whatever. Or so the, they say during the main sex scenes. Yeah. Um. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, that's it then for old basic instinct. Uh. So that's a no. A no go for Steve. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick in the no. I'm gonna give it a solid no. Okay. <laughs> go to bed, you sons of bitches. Um, I kind of ran through most of the trivia as we went through. Um, out of the two, which who who would you rather bang, uh, Doctor Garner or Sharon Stone? Um. Hmm. It's an interesting question. I think Dr. Garner is a better actress, so I respect it. Uh, Sharon Stone seems very wacky as shit, so... She's probably a tiger in the sack. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. There's a lot of things to consider. Um, I'm going... I'll just, I'll just I'm go going, with Roxy. Oh, okay. The third alternative. <laughs> yeah. Sydney, your mother was no Sharon Stone. Yeah, she was pretty hot too. I would go if it's just the two though. I would go Dr. Garner. I'm I'm much more of a brunette guy than than a blonde. It just seems like dime a dozen. I don't know. Yeah. You could say you could say the same either way, but I yeah, just something about her I think uh is more pleasing to the eye. Well, it's probably cuz she's a better actor and Sharon Stone was pretty abysmal. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird how this catapulted her, and then she didn't really go on to anything later. They actually made a sequel to this film, believe it or not. Basically, really? Instinct 2. Yeah, in like 2006. 23 so, like, years later? No. 
what's 92 in 2006? 16 years later? Yeah. Why? Yep. I don't know. That's one thing I've always, nope. I've always, I've, cause I heard it bombed. I've heard it's garbage. It's terrible. But I was like, I don't want that to like, cause I like basic instinct. And I I was like, I don't want that to sully this. Cause I like this as a self-contained, like, this is the story. I don't want to find out what happens to Catherine Trammell 15 years later, still killing folks with ice picks. I don't. So yeah, it's weird that this one got a sequel. Hmm. And that's kind of a hallmark of this director too, which is interesting. He has the interesting factoid of he has directed the first movie in films that, which later went on to become a franchise that he had no involvement with. And they all subsequently bombed really hard and, or went, were just direct to DVD or direct to video style movies. Hmm. So like with the, the small caveat is RoboCop two. Did, did okay. And I can't remember if he directed that too, but uh, like Robocop three was garb. Um, so then he did uh, Starship Troopers, which the first one's awesome. I think they've gone on to make like three or four and they're real bad. Like <laughs> they're terrible. Um, and then basic instinct two. I think there's a couple others that I'm not remembering, but um, yeah, I thought that was kind of a, an interesting kind of dubious uh hmm. distinction for this director but yeah he's got he's a he's an interesting kind of oddball dude um i really like i'm a big fan of starship troopers though that's what i that's what i most closely that and robocop the first one are, are both pretty badass have you ever seen starship troopers seen starship troopers never seen robocop oh man dude red from that 70s show yeah plays like the main bad guy in robocop it's pretty awesome it's it's dope it's very gory it's it's a lot of fun you had me at very gory (laughs) (laughs) and red it's weird to see him because he's a lot younger and he's fucking cursing up like a sailor and he's like blowing people's heads off and shit it's it's a weird because i only ever knew him as red you know like dumbass you know like that kind of <laughs> character and then to see him as like a drug running like fucking like head of like a a detroit cartel in the future <laughs> he's just fucking a maniac it's pretty it's pretty fun uh to see him in that role but um do you have any fun anecdotes colloquialisms before we get into a bit of housekeeping and call it a day no i do not all right um I don't have anything either. Although there is a piece of slang that I'm hearing right now. Um, uh, it's I've, I've heard washed before and I I've kind of taken a shine to that a little bit. Um, but I'm also, I'm starting to see, I'm, I'm probably uh, late on this as per usual, but um, I'm seeing rinsed being used a lot right now. Like if someone gets washed or like fucked up or like obliterated or just like he just gets, oh man, he got rinsed (laughs) or he just got crossed up, posterized like in a basketball game or just like, like thrown around like a dummy on the football field. Ragdolled. Just got rinsed. Little boy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is there any key updates or anything of note? Um, 
since we just did the Alex Murdaugh, uh coverage, is there anything you wanted to to talk about on that front? If not, that's fine too. No, mostly because I think this is a little out of order. Yeah, when we release this, will be it'll be in a funky time period. But I guess at least now, while we're talking, not too much has happened that's kind of meaningful. Yeah, I think we'll probably save it for the the second ep. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if there was just like anything like any bombshell kind of stuff that that has happened in the past few days since we last talked, but. Alrighty. Well, that's going to do it for us, uh, for this week covering basic instinct. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts, uh, want to let us know, uh, what you thought of this film or anything else in general, you can reach out to us via email at wax at waxing the or either of our socials. Instagram is waxing the porpoise or at Twitter is at waxing the porp. Uh, you got any final thoughts on this film or anything else? Uh, no, you got I top of mind. So. No. Oh shit! I almost forgot. I was slacking on that. That could have probably fit in <laughs> somewhere much better. Right when we started talking about the first sex scene, which, by the way, dude, like the back getting clawed up, that part was intense. Like, oh shit! Yeah, I've never had that happen to me, but I can't imagine it would be like. Uh, like something that would that would uh like amp me up. Like I feel like that would take me out of the game a little bit. Like if you're drawing blood and I have like <laughs> sores on my back now. Um but it was what do you say? It was the fuck of the century. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking pompous ass. Uh alrighty. So uh uh yeah, next time I don't know, this we'll leave, we're leaving it open ended, so I don't know what we're gonna be talking about, but um Hope you enjoyed the film. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate all the good f- feedback. We had a lot of people uh, give you kudos on your uh, your legal law courtroom acumen, Steve Dog, in the uh, the Alex Murdoch trial. I agree too. That's that's definitely like your forte. Like you know, like the shit you were talking about, like that goes b- right before uh, reasonable doubt. Like those, like all that kind of stuff. The inner workings is is super interesting. That uh, doesn't really get divulged when you're just like watching the boob tube and like waiting for the latest drama, you know. Or maybe they do go into that kind of stuff. I just don't. I don't have the patience for a lot of that. But yeah, people are are uh, psyched about your uh, uh, sweet your legal articulation. <laughs> don't listen to so, me. Yeah, w- I'm dumb. W- don't don't do that <laughs> uh yeah more to come on that once the uh the the trial takes shape and and more stuff comes out we'll definitely have to flash back to that um but yeah in case i don't see you good morning good afternoon good evening and good night <laughs> thanks gang you bitch oh!